0: You're listening to a message from Mattia Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California.
1: God still does miracles. God still works. God still speaks. The reason we don't experience it is because we're so distant from him. There's such a gap between him. We know all there is to know about Game of Thrones, but we don't know anything about the word of God. We know all there is to know about what's going to happen in today's political climate, but we don't know what God's trying to do in this climate.
0: This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now... Here is Pastor Micaiah.
1: We are kicking off a new series today entitled, What Would Jesus Undo? Many of us, uh, we remember in the 90s, there was a popular mantra, there was a popular slogan, and it was, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And we saw bumper stickers with it. We saw t-shirts with it, wristbands. And really what it was, it was an effort to, before we thought something, said something, did something, uh, uh, ate something, I don't know, however you used it, we would say, what would Jesus do? And it was that little pause right before we did something that gave us enough time to hopefully make the right decision. Well, Jesus came and the movement started, many believe, in 1892 based on a book by, written by a pastor. His name was Sheldon. And this pastor, he wrote this book called In His Steps. And it was a fictional book based on a church. And this book is based on this church that started going around saying, what would Jesus do before they went and did something? And so that's kind of where the movement traces its roots to. But it kind of reached its heyday in the 90s, where we kind of saw it. And it kind of turned into a cultural phenomenon. But as all movements do, it kind of seems like it lost its fervor and its momentum. And so now we're coming to modern times today, and we're looking at the fact that Jesus didn't just come to do some things. He came to undo some things. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in this series. What are some things that Jesus came to un? Do. And one of the things that I think more than anything is he came to undo our confusion about some things. I think many people are confused about what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus. When I was 14 years old, I gave my life to Christ. At 14 years of age, I decided to become a Christ follower. Today, we would call that a Christian. And at 14 years old, so that was 21 years ago. I know many of you thought I'm a teenager there, you know, and uh, so I just look really, really young. When we went to Hawaii, there's a bunch of people thought we were on our honeymoon. We were like, yay, you know, we look really young. So all of you, you may think he looks really young, really immature, but just wait. When I'm 90, I'm gonna look good, y'all, okay? At 90 years old, I'm holding out, you Maybe I'll get carded, you know. For the longest time, I was able to go to restaurants. They'd hand me the kids' menu, and I'm like, "Okay, I'll take it." You know, I like mac and cheese. It's all good. So, um, you know, so at 14 years old, it's when I started my faith journey. Okay, it's when I started. But my 14-year-old faith is not strong enough, was not deep enough to sustain me the last 21 years, especially a 14-year-old faith is not going to sustain full-time ministry faith. It's, it's, it's not going to make it. Why? Because the problems I'm dealing with now are different than when I was 14 years old. When you're 14 years old, what are some of your biggest problems? Homework? The girl doesn't like you? Acne? I mean, come on, we don't have really life-altering problems, okay? So my faith wasn't that deep, didn't need to be. But now, all of a sudden. You've got a lot of issues. I got a text message yesterday from a very dear friend. And he said, hey, pray for me. My mother just passed away. You know, you've got that. You've got people in the hospital. You've got things happening in life. You've got all these things that are happening. And what happens for some people, they said, oh, I used to be a Christian. Oh, I, I used to go to church. I used to do that whole thing. You know what happened when somebody says, I used to? It's because they started faith at a young age, but they never let their faith mature and grow. They never grew it. And so what happens is they were spiritually immature. Now, they had grown up and they, for many of them, maybe even stayed in the church for a long time, but their faith and their knowledge of God and his word and his desire and will for them never grew. And so you look at the word of God and then they just kind of fizzle out. Or they, they, you say, what happened to so-and-so or where is so-and-so? What happened? Their faith wasn't grounded in something deeper. They didn't have a strong faith. They were confused about what commitment looks like. And so we're going to be looking at the series, some things that Jesus came to undo. Now, as I talk about this message, I want to put a caveat right at the beginning. Every Sunday morning, we have three different types of people that are at church. Some of you, for the very first time, you're going to hear someone preach. You're going to hear uh, someone open up the Word of God and, and talk about things with a deeper meaning. And so you, maybe what I would call somebody who's spiritually unresolved, you're into spiritual things. You, you think there's something life after death, possibly. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But you're here. So there's that group of people. Then you wouldn't call yourself a Christ follower. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You're not anti-Christian. You're not anti-Christ. But you're just not necessarily thinking that you're for it. So you're intrigued. Let's put it like that. You're intrigued. That's who's in this room. That There's another person in this room. You're invested. You're engaged. You serve. You give. You're part of this community. You're part of this family. You're invested. And there's another group entirely. And you're what I would call more along the lines of, you're just kind of ignoring things. <laughs> you're just kind of indifferent. You're kind of, meh. Meh, meh. That's, that's where you're at. Yeah, you'll show up at church. People ask you to give. They ask you to serve. You're kind of like, meh. So there's three groups of people. I'm dealing with the people that you're interested. You're intrigued. I'm dealing with the people that are invested. And then I'm dealing with the people that are spiritually indifferent. Now, this morning, if you're just intrigued by the things of God and the things of the Bible, things of Christianity, this message isn't for you. And I don't know if you've ever heard a pastor say that, but this message isn't for you. You can sit back, relax, drink your Red Bull, okay? And uh, hopefully you get something out of this. But mm, this morning, the things I'm going to say, they may offend you, but it's not for you, okay? But now there's a second group of people, the ones that are invested and then the ones that are indifferent. Today's message may challenge you, may rub you the wrong way, may bother you may keep you up tonight. It may uh, mess with you a little bit in a good way. I'm praying that spiritually it'll wreck you, is what I'm praying. I'm praying that the word would get you, because we today, and I love preaching. Uh, throughout the week, I listen to sermons of, of, of other pastors and other preachers, and some you would know, some have TV ministry, some you wouldn't know. And I just constantly try to listen to preaching. And now as I listen to preaching, there's something I don't hear a lot of, anymore. You see, I grew up in the church. My dad is a pastor. So I mean, his earliest memories was of me at the church. That's all I remember is church. And so for me, the church is something very near and dear, even with all of its imperfections, even with all of its faults and its flaws. To me, there's something very special about the church. So I take great offense at anybody who talks Different to the church, even if it's not even my church, even if it's a different church. No, no, it's, it's all one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So we are on the same side, though we may do things differently. And since I've grown up in the church, one thing that I've heard a lot about growing up, but I don't hear so much about anymore, is preaching on the cross. Now we talk about the cross, it's this uh, emblem that we've seen. It's this thing that we may put on our wall at home. Some churches will put it up on as a, as a focal point in the room, a big cross, and they'll light it and look beautiful. Uh, some people will get it tattooed on their arm, a tattoo of a cross. Some of you this morning may be wearing a little necklace, and on that necklace maybe a little gold cross or a little diamond-crusted cross. And so we, we get it. We, we know it. But that's kind of strange if you step back and think about it. We don't do this anymore in our uh, penal system, but we used to uh, execute people by electric chair. And imagine if you could step back in time, oh, 30, 40 years ago, and and go to one of these places where they have an electric chair, where they have executed some of the worst criminals. And you go there, and you step into the room, and you see that, that electric chair Many of you have probably seen Tom Hanks, The Green Mile, and, and, and you can picture it, right? You can picture that electric chair. And imagine you go there and you're like, whoa, electric chair. And then you go to a tattoo artist. Tattoo that on my arm right there. I want everybody to see it. And uh, put, uh, you know what? Make a necklace out of that. And uh, uh, can you can make like a wooden carve out. And I want to put it on my wall. And, uh, and uh, just I, I want to I see that electric chair everywhere. We'd be like, bro, you are out of your mind. What is wrong with you? step back in time, and that's what this day and age would think of us, because we've turned the cross into a decoration, and it's a declaration, not a decoration, and so I am talking to one group of people. i talking to those. You say, hey, I'm indifferent to the things of God, because I don't think you ever actually got the gospel. I think what you got was a nightly, neatly packed image of the gospel. And I don't think you ever really got it because that's why you're confused about commitment. Because Jesus didn't mince words when it came to following him. So I want to go to passage of scripture that honestly, if I could be very transparent with you, and if I could say there's parts of the Bible I do not like, this is parts of the Bible I don't like. And I almost wish it wasn't there because it calls us to a higher standard. Not a higher standard of giving, but a higher standard of living. And many of us struggle more with living than with giving. A couple of bucks in the offering plate, that's not a problem for you. But for you to actually change your lifestyle tomorrow, that's where you have the issue. Because why? Let's be honest. We kind of have some pet sins that we actually love. And we kind of keep them in a little place. And we just hope the pastor never really touches on it. Because then we start feeling a little bad. So like I said, today's message isn't necessarily going to be rah, rah, rah. It's not going to necessarily make you feel good. This actually may be one where you might do what some of the people in this passage did. So let's go to Luke chapter number 14 if you have a Bible. If not, there's one in front of you or you can look at it on the screen. But let's look at Luke 14 and 14 and let's study this together over the next few minutes that we have. The Bible says a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, this is what's crazy. Jesus got a huge crowd. He's at the height of his ministry. And this large crowd is now following Jesus. And you would think at this point, this is where it's like, hey, at the height of this movement, you've got momentum. You're going to say something that's just going to catalyze this movement. And then you're just going to usher in the kingdom. And I'm sure a PR firm or a marketing firm would come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we're, we're looking at your social media influence and we can see that you could make a lot of money by running these ads or posting these pictures or saying this statement. Uh, Jesus, have you considered running for politics? Jesus, have you considered a daytime talk show? Hey, Jesus, have you considered uh, being on satellite radio? I really think you could take the market. I mean, you just got this, this following. I mean, it's, just, it's almost like you're the Messiah or something. I mean, you just got these people and they're just going wherever you want. So you gotta, you gotta keep it. So Jesus, it's almost like he's like, oh, don't worry about it. I, I know what to do with this crowd. And people are like, yeah, he knows what to do. Maybe he's going to make some bread. Maybe he's going to heal somebody. Maybe he's going to raise somebody to, to life that was dead. That always goes over really well, as long as it's not a mother-in-law, you know. And then that's all bad. That's, that's all bad. Some believe that's why Peter denied Jesus, because he healed his mother-in-law, you know. And, uh, you know, just some believe it. I don't know if it's true. So here's what Jesus says to him, verse 26. If you want to be my disciple. A disciple in that day and age, everybody was familiar with that term, meant a follower meant somebody who would uh, closely follow behind. In that culture at 12 years old, you were given the option to continue your education, and they would say this word, disciple, to you. And that means you got to continue your education. And if you didn't have the aptitude to continue your education, then guess what? You'd go back to the family business. So to be a disciple was a big deal, and they were all used to it. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else your father, your mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of the building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? Two to one odds. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Wow. Those, my friend, are very, very tough words from Jesus. Those are words that, quite frankly, we don't know if we like it because it's calling us out, isn't it? It's calling us out of our indifference, which today I'm talking to you, but today I think we've got a pandemic of the church at large that the church is mainly indifferent, just indifferent. Oh, the church at large, though, we will look at a third world country across the ocean and we will look at them and we'll have pity on them. Look at them. Third world. Man, look at their poverty. We should do something. We should go build them a house. Why does every missions group want to go build a house? You know, we're always like just painting or building houses. And so we go over there and we take pity on them. Why? Because of their, their, their comforts, their creature comforts, their luxury. And we just, we just need to help them. All the while, the third world countries are looking at the church in North America and saying, wow, we feel so bad for you. While we have physical poverty, you have spiritual poverty. Because your churches, look at these grand mausoleums. Look at these things that you've built. Look at the worship teams. Oh, look at your theatrics. Oh, look at the, uh, the, the influence you guys have. You guys have form, but no substance. You're a mile wide, but an inch deep. You say these great things, but yet your followers, they don't act very godly on Monday. Oh, they'll sing, oh, let's come to the altar. And they'll sing about how good God is. But then as soon as a trial hits their life, as soon as a difficulty hits their life, as soon as things get tough, guess where they go? The next church down the road. Because they're just there just so you can kind of, ah, just fix my relationship. Hey, I really don't know how to deal with my teenagers, so guess what? You need to fix them. And if you don't fix them, I'll go to another church that has a better youth group, and that pastor or youth pastor to spend more time one on one fixing my kid because I don't want to be too bothered by it because I'm indifferent. When Jesus called us out to be disciples, that's what we're called to be. You say, what is a disciple? A disciple is one who follows Jesus because Jesus said, come unto me all ye who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. So Jesus did say, come unto me. That's the, that's the great open invitation for salvation to anybody. But he didn't just say, come unto me. He said, come after me to follow me. That's what he told us. But yet when we all love the message of come to me, we don't like the message of follow me because discipleship costs something. If you're taking notes, you're going to love this for your OCD brain. First of all, we're going to talk about crucifixion. We're going to talk about construction. And then we're going to talk about conflict, okay? There's the outline of the entire message. And then we're going to to unpack these things. Because when it comes to the church at large, and specifically Southridge Church, many times we aren't strong enough to handle any of the battles we're facing. Because we spiritually want to be coddled, And we want to make sure everything emotionally is happy, upbeat. Everything's friendly. Give me a little message. Make me feel good. So I keep coming back. And if you don't make me feel good, guess what? Peace out, dog. I'm going to another church. And this is the frustration that churches have, pastors have, leaders have. Not only am I going to stop coming to your church, I'm going to unfriend you on Facebook. Ooh, that didn't hurt. I don't care. Like (laughs) Whatever. You know what you're revealing You're revealing that though you may be a 45 or a 55 year old spiritually, you're way over here at spiritual immaturity because who needs to be coddled? Who needs to be helped? Who needs to always make sure they're entertained and happy? Infants, children. And yet the landscape of churches is a bunch of children. When Jesus said, hey, we're disciples, we're supposed to follow Jesus. And he said, first of all, that's crucifixion. What does that mean? That means take up your cross. And here's what's so crazy about taking up your cross. In that day and age, the, the country of uh, Jerusalem was besieged and was overrun by the Romans. So they, had an, they were in an occupied country. And so if you were to try to overthrow or revolt or rebel against Roman rule, what they would do to you, your wife, and your children is to take everything you own and nail you to a cross. And then they would line the city highways with these crosses showing that these are the ones who tried to stand up against the might of Rome. Look what we do to them. And Jesus said the same thing. He says, oh, you want to follow me? Pick up your cross. Because the moment you picked up your cross, that was the last thing you were ever going to do, was pick up that cross. And Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? Pick up a cross, because it'll be the last thing of your own free will. You're saying, hey, I'm going to do this. But it is in subjection to Jesus, because we have to die to self so a new self can rise again, so that a new one can live. You see, too often we bought into this idea that Jesus came to save our stuff. That life is all about stuff. But Jesus didn't say, I came to save your stuff. Jesus said, I came to save your soul. But many of us are living for stuff. We're living for the pleasures of here and now. We're thinking that this is all life is. And Jesus is saying, hey, I didn't die so I could give you this comfortable, safe life. No, I called you to be dangerous. I called the church to risk I called the church to adventure. I called the church out of the wilderness and I called you to take mountains and I called you to do great things, but yet the church is sitting back instead of hitting back. The church is cowering instead of being courageous. Oh, we love Romans 8, that we are more than conquerors. But then when we're told we got to conquer something? No, 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 no. I just like the verse. I don't want to live it. I just want to say it with my lips. I don't want my lifestyle to reflect it. And then he ends this whole talk with talking about salt. And he talks about, hey, this whole thing is about this saltiness. And he's saying the church today has lost its salt. Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt had lost its saltiness, it's no good. In this passage, he starts talking about salt. He even goes on to say, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone who ears to hear should listen and understand. That day and age, you would get salt from the dead sea but there was certain salt that was kind of on the land that had leached and so all the saltiness had drained out of it and if you tried to eat that salt, it would poison the food. You couldn't use that salt to uh, uh, for any of the fields, What you had to do with that salt. It was only good for one thing. It was no longer good for food. It wasn't good to put in a wound. It wasn't good for anything. The only thing that they would do with that salt that had gotten uh, wet or destroyed, what they would do, they would take those big clumps of salt and they'd put it on the roads because they would kind of dry up the moisture, and then it would kill the weeds. And then they would walk on it. Now think to today. Jesus said, if the salt is no good, then it's just to be thrown out and people trample it under their foot. I can think of no other uh, place or organization that gets stepped on and trampled and mocked more than the church. The church is the laughingstock of culture. The church is a joke today in most people. You watch SNL, they will make fun of the church. You look at politics, and if you are religious, then guess what? You're a right-wing extremist with your Bible and your gun. And so they're painting this picture that you are weird and you are crazy. What happened? Our salt has lost its flavor. So now we're just ridiculed. Now people just step on us and mock us because the church has lost its way. Because we look at life as a playground when Jesus said it's a battleground. We don't take things seriously. If we pray, we pray. If we read God's word, we read God's word. If I go to church once a month, I go once a month. And if I don't go at all, guess what? Don't give me a hard time. I just don't go. You're indifferent. And you wonder why things are happening around you. You wonder why that today we see moral decay. You wonder why that people are trying to uh, 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 take away your religious rights. Because why? We have made it that we're just a joke today. And Jesus is saying, I called you to crucifixion. I called you to die to yourself. I called you to pick up your cross. A man by the name of Paul said this in Galatians 2.21. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live, it's not by the flesh, but by the faith of the Son of God who lives in me. You see, when we die to self, guess what? We desire to our anger. We we die to our bitterness. We die to our strife. We die to all these things that are corrupting this world. And so Jesus is saying, you want to be my disciple? You got to crucify this. But the problem with you and I, we're trying to save everything for this life save nothing for this life. There was a rich man who came to Jesus and said to Jesus, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, obey the law. And he said, hey, I've kept all the law. And Jesus said, good, then give all you have to the poor. And he said, well, that's a hard thing because I have a lot of wealth. And Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the gates of heaven because his stuff was keeping him out because we are called to crucifix him, but yet that's not what we want to hear. And that's why we'll go to a lot of churches they won't talk about the cross. The cross is a decoration, not a declaration for them. But we've got to step back and say, wait a minute. I have a few years left on this planet and God came to save my soul. But yet the reason we don't want to live this life is because we feel like we're giving up so much for him. That, that's it, isn't it? We feel like, well, I'm gonna have to give up so much to follow Jesus. It's gonna cost so much. Uh, My friend, you do not understand what Jesus has done for you. And if the only thing that you ever do is say, God, show me, reveal to me, help me feel the weight of what your son did on the cross, and at that moment, Jesus will show you. And at that moment, you will say, I'm unworthy. I'm undone. I am wrecked by my sin. I am of all men most miserable. And it's at that moment you will say, now I get it. In Luke 15, it's the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he wastes his father's living. And at the end of the passage, the Bible says that the prodigal son, it says he came to himself and then he said, I'm gonna go to my father who treats his servants better than I'm being treated now. So he goes to his father and the Bible says a long way off, his father sees him, runs to him, hugs him, kisses him and throws a robe on his shoulder. And at that moment, the son pushes his father back and says, father, I need to say something to you. I need to tell you something. I'm no longer worthy to be your son, but I want to be your servant. It's strange that the son says, I'm no longer worthy. That means there was a point where he thought he was worthy. Such is the problem with today's church. We actually think we're worthy, we actually think that there's some part of us that's good. We actually think that we're kind of worthy. So we're coming back to God after our sin and after doing all this stuff, messing around, we're coming back to God. We're like, God, I'm I'm just not worthy. Wait, you never were. It was never based on your righteousness. It was never based on what you could do. It was only based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so Jesus says, you want to follow me? Guess what? It means death to yourself. It means you die to your rights. It means that, guess what? It's not all about you and your marriage anymore. It's not all about you and your workplace because then you become the example that'll transform the world because we are called to transform the world, but yet we can't even transform our own lives. We're stuck with our sin issues. We're stuck with our habits. We're stuck with the same sins that we were stuck with when we were 14. And now it's 21 years later and we're like, wait a minute, I spiritually really haven't grown. And we wonder why people walk away from the church like crazy, because they were never told the truth about what the gospel is. The gospel calls you and I out. It's not just here to pump you up. It's not just here to lift you up and always make you feel good. It's here to remind you that we're supposed to die to ourselves. It's crucifixion, but it doesn't just stop there. He then talks about, hey, you're also like a person who's supposed to build a tower that first counts the cost. You see, in that day and age, if you had a winery, what you would do is you would have your vineyard, but in the middle of your vineyard, you would build a tower so you could see what's going on. And many times the village would look to that tower for protection so they could see the enemy. But he's saying, hey, sometimes you pass a vineyard and you see the tower was started, but it was never completed. And he said, some of your lives are like that. You started something. You began this work. You are a Christ follower. You are a Christian. But guess what? You've never grown up. You've never matured. You just allowed yourself to get offended anytime you heard a message you didn't like, anytime somebody uh, made you upset, anytime somebody didn't do what you wanted to, you just got all sensitive, bent out of shape, and you just said, I'm out, I'll go find somewhere else. And that pattern, you just put that pattern on repeat. You just hop from place to place to place. Because you're saying, no, no, I can't handle any negative emotion. Who do we know that can't handle any negative emotion? Our kids. Our kids and we're God's kids, and God is saying, hey, you're a construction project, and I'm not here to buy you, I'm here to build you. And many times in that project, we get uh, setbacks, we get frustrated, but God is saying, hey, I'm here to build you up, let's build. But yet there are people that have stopped the construction project. You've stopped working, you've stopped trying, you put the Bible aside. You won't even put a little app on your phone that sends a push notification, so at least you get one verse a day. You think that the time that you're gonna pray over your meal is your prayer for the day? No wonder we are spiritually powerless. Here's the thing, God still does miracles. God still works. God still speaks. The reason we don't experience it is because we're so distant from him. There's such a gap between him. We know all there is to know about Game of Thrones, but we don't know anything about the word of God. We know all there is to know about what's gonna happen in today's political climate, but we don't know what God's trying to do in this climate. We know all the latest celebrity gossip, but we don't know anything about the gospel. Heaven help us. God, have mercy on the church. We don't need to go around and say to our neighbors, Oh, you're sinning, and you're sinning, and you're sinning. How about we just step back and say, Woe is me, I am undone, I am unworthy. God, I am in need of prayer, I am in need of revival. I told you this message is not for those that are intrigued by the gospel, this is for the spiritually indifferent. And I'm hoping to wake you up and shake you up because you have one foot in the world and you have one foot in the church, and you wonder why you're miserable because the world doesn't accept you, and neither does the church because you're trying to. Straddle both. Jesus spoke to this in Revelation. There was a church at Laodicea, and He said to the church at Laodicea, "Because you're not hot and you're not cold, you're lukewarm. I want to throw you up." He says, "I literally want to vomit you." He said, "I would rather you were just Antichrist, cold or hot, but since you're in the middle, I want nothing to do with you." And as we look at the landscape of the church, what's the church trying to do? I honestly, somebody sent me the funniest thing. I love the movie Black Panther; it's a great movie. Uh, uh, the, 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 the one guy, uh, uh, um, uh, the bad guy, the main guy played by Michael B. Jordan, who was just a great actor. I watched, uh, Creed II the other day, made me want to work out. And I was like, man, I love to work out, but I love donuts more. And so I just gave up on working out and I ate donuts. Okay. And so I was just like, man, I love seeing that. And so I'm watching him. And then our student pastor texts me a picture and he was like, Hey, worship pastor, Marvel bad guy. I was like, whoa, man, you're so right. Because he had the look, he had it down and he, you couldn't tell the difference anymore. And I think today the world is looking at the church saying, I don't see any difference with you. There's nothing different. We're called to be holy. You know what holy means? It means set apart. We don't do it today, but we used to buy fine china. A lot of people are like, no, we're done with that. You know, Maria Kondo got rid of that. She woke up that plate and said, that plate needs to go. It's saying, I want out. Can't even microwave that plate with the gold lining. It blows up your microwave anyway. So you're like, it's out, it's gone. But we used to have fine china, and your parents or your grandparents say, No, you can't use that. That's for special occasions. And so at Thanksgiving or Easter or Christmas, you're breaking out the fine china. It was holy, it was separate, it was something special. And Jesus says that about you. But yet you and I were jumping into the world and we're compromising on things. You see, he starts out with crucifixion, he moves in a construction project, but then he starts talking about the fact that there's two armies going to war. And he said, If one is outnumbered, then he's going to send ambassadors. To try to make peace. They're gonna to try to find a compromise. You see, crucifixion is all about conflict. Jesus said, In this world, you will have tribulation. We are the church and we're surprised by tribulation. We're surprised that bad things happen. We're we're like, oh no, something bad happened. I just can't go to church and worship. My spirit's not right. That's why you need to be in church, because your spirit's not right. That's why you need to be here because your attitude's not right, your marriage isn't right. All these things are right, and so you're running from the one source you need to be at. It doesn't make any sense. And so here we are. And Jesus is pointing out the fact that, guess what, there's this conflict. We're born for conflict. You're born for danger. You're born for risk. But when did the church get so weak? When did we get so soft? United States used to be the greatest mission-sending country. We would send missionaries around the world. I met with a man this week. He's Korean and he's ministering to the churches in China. He says the churches in China and churches in Korea are praying about what to do about the churches in America. Heaven help us. Heaven help us. Yale College was started as a seminary. That's why it started. Princeton University was started as a seminary. You try to go be a pastor and come out of that college today. I'm not here to put anybody on blast. I'm just saying, where have we come? How far have we fallen? We need a revival and we need to stop waiting for it to happen in the White House. We need to stop waiting for it to happen in the schoolhouse. How about it happen in your house and my house? How about we say it starts right here? How about we draw a circle around us and say God right here begin it here. I want it right here right now because too often we're saying how about you fix yourself and you fix yourself and you fix yourself and Jesus is saying hey how about you die on that cross? How about you lay down yourself? How about you get over yourself? How about you stop making it all about you and yet we're like no 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 I'm gonna go find me a church that keeps it upbeat positive and happy and I just want to go to a church that just says I just like to start with something funny something makes us feel good it'll take you a while it'll take you a while I'm not putting anybody on blast I'm sorry but we've missed the fact that Jesus called us to be dangerous he called us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth there was a crowd that gathered that day you know who was left after he preached this message 12. And even one of them said, I'm out. I'm out. But if you read in Acts, what was said about these 11, it looked out and here were these 11 uneducated from poor backgrounds, different sides of the political aisle. One was a tax collector, Matthew by name. He worked for the Roman government. He was a traitor, but yet he's a disciple? Here's what's crazy. It never said that Matthew stopped being a tax collector, but Jesus said, you're one of the 11, come on. And it was said about those 11 apostles, here come those that have turned the world upside down. Are we tired of playing on a playground? Are we ready to say this is a battleground? I'm in the Lord's army. I'm a part of something. There was a man by the name of Peter. And Peter was in a boat with the other disciples in Matthew chapter number 14. And the storm comes on the ocean and they're they're sailing across the ocean because Jesus told them to go. And so they're going, Jesus is not with them. And it's three o'clock in the morning, there's a storm on the sea and they're fearful for their life. And all of a sudden they could barely make out and they saw something walking on the water. They thought it was a ghost and they're screaming. And Jesus says, it's not a ghost, it's me. Don't be afraid. And in that moment, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come out on the water. Jesus has come. This morning, Jesus is calling you out of the comforts of your boat. He's calling you out of your confused commitment. He's saying, are you ready to get uncomfortable? You know, we need to go out on a limb. You say, why? Because that's where the fruit is. We need to be willing to say, I'm gonna risk it all. I heard Pastor Joel Osteen say this past week. He said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Risk. You see, God's destiny for your life will not come to you when you're in comfortable situations. Peter was not in a comfortable situation. But here's the thing. Comfort is relative. Because the boat was more comfortable than the ocean was. So he had to leave whatever comfort he had. So you may be sitting here saying, guess what? I don't own a house, pastor. I don't own a car. I don't have any money in the bank. It is not comfortable. Comfort is relative but God is still calling you out. But here's the thing. You and I have this moment, this moment in time, and the mystery of a moment is that it is so small, it's so small you could ignore it, but it's big enough to change your life. And some of you today, you will hear this message and you will remain indifferent. And I'll be honest with you, I probably won't see you for another three, four weeks because that's how often you come to church because you're indifferent. You see, pastor, that's kind of mean. It's the truth, isn't it? If we were sitting over coffee, it's the truth, isn't it? It's the truth that you feel like I gotta hang on to these sins because your sin still looks better than Jesus does. There was a time where I'd do anything for a McDonald's Happy Meal. I love McDonald's Happy Meal. I think right now I still love McDonald's Happy Meals, truth be told. They're pretty delicious. They're terrible for you. And I don't know what they make it out of because that's not food. That's some chemical that some scientists invented to send in a space and last forever. That's what it is, but it tastes good. I don't know, maybe we're in the matrix. I, I have no idea. It may not even be food. But then one day somebody introduced me to Ruth's crisp steak. God bless their soul. Crowns in heaven for that introduction. Now, if you were to ask me, which would I rather have, I'm not gonna be like, ha ha ha, easy choice, McDonald's. If you could honestly see how good God is and how bad sin is, the choice is easy. I've learned that I can't just take away something from my two-year-old son, I gotta give him something else. The other day, he had scissors. I saved that boy's life dozens of times each day. He's on a mission of self-destruction. But I can't just take the scissors. I got to give him something else. So I give him a football. I give him a toy. Give him something else. Give him some Legos. God's not here to just take something away. He's here to give you something better but you and I are still stepping back saying, I don't know about this crucifixion thing. Sounds dangerous, sounds painful. Yeah, it is. We were called not to live safely. We were called to live dangerously because just like Peter, you say, but Peter failed and I just don't wanna fail, so I'm never gonna try. Yeah, Peter failed. But Christian, Christian, we are born for risk and failure is what redefines us and refines us. You see, don't let a failure stop you. Peter, he failed. But it was also Peter in Acts chapter 3, 3,000 people, he preached you, they got saved. Some of you are letting a failure stop you from this life. Here's what I believe, and I'm going to close with this. I know this message is heavy. I know it's hard. I know some of you, you're like, man, you just want more, more and more. No, 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 no. If you would just read these verses and read the Bible, not cherry pick what you like, you will see that Jesus talks about the cross over and over and over again. I'm sorry if you bought the religion, if you bought the gospel, that's a prosperity, uh, health, wealth gospel. I'm not against it, but I'm saying that's not all that Christianity is. There's more to it. You see, one day, someone's going to come along and someone's going to grab a Bible for the very first time and they're going to read a verse and they're going to believe what Jesus said and then they're going to do what Jesus said and then they're going to change the world and we're going to step back and be like, wow. Look what God did through her. Look what God did through him. Because somebody just finally said, yeah. I'm not confused about commitment anymore. You see, one thing about the church is we forget our own history. There's a man by the name of Stuart. And at 12 years old, he was a rugby rugby player in Scotland. And God gets a hold of his life in the 1800s. And at 14 years of age, he was preaching to crowds of thousands. Because he believed it. You see, there are men and women all throughout history and all throughout time and throughout the church that they just said, I'm going to take God at his word because his word works and they change their homes. They change their lives. And yet we have a gospel that is powerful, but we have Christians that are powerless. And Jesus says, you're not going to change the world. You're not even changing your own family. So this morning it's convicting, it's heavy. But it's time we once again, look at the cross no longer as a decoration, but as a declaration that says, come and die. Who would give their life? You see, we're living for this life. We're living like this is all there is. I stayed in a hotel in Hawaii and it didn't stop and say, you know what? I don't like this paint color. Let's paint it. Oh, I don't like these decorations. Let's redecorate it. You say, why? I don't live there. Why would I decorate the hotel? Why would I repaint it? Some of us are so in love with this world that it's blinded us from ever being able to love Jesus. Ever. It's time to let it go. Say, God, I'm not confused about commitment anymore.
0: We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.